0: Lucky you! Thirty-six you Best holes and golf. The Barney's Army, where we talk about Sandy. golf, candy, poker, James Bond, horse racing, double, classic movies, zenyatta We have no script.
1: Down the stretch they come. We are
0: glad you joined us.
1: Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, Billy Regan, today we have none other than Judy Rankin, a special guest someone who has history with Wingfoot, going back to the uh, 1972 USGA Open, and we're going to be thrilled to hear Judy's story. She's going to dig them out from the past and the future. Judy, welcome to the Alternate Shots podcast.
2: Thank you so much. I'm happy to be with you. You're in the
1: uh, Hall of Fame. You were a Hall of Fame player and a Hall of Fame broadcaster. You know, your name should be Judy Golf.
2: <laughs> well, um I can tell you that my grandfather called me Judy the golfer and it made my grandmother so mad. So
0: <laughs> father your mother your grandmother influential in you getting out on the uh, driving range how did that happen
2: Oh my father absolutely he was um sort of an everyday 85 shooter at public courses he really loved Ben Hogan and one day at the range he let me hit the ball and I kind of could and that was the beginning of my career. So my father really became fascinated with me playing golf. And around when I was five, six and so on, my mother got terminally ill. And so it was my dad and I an awful lot of the time. And um, he sort of buried himself in my becoming a golfer. And that was, as a lot of people would know at that time, so this would have been 1951, 1952, um, it wasn't a very reasonable thing for a girl to play golf or professional golf for that matter. And uh, so his thought was that um, if I could play golf well, I would meet a nice young man and it would make my life better. So I, I always say, I don't know if I met a nice young guy, but I met a good man and my life was better because, for many reasons, because of golf.
0: At five, that video shows you on the practice team with a near perfect setup. I mean, people just don't get that. How do you get that at the age of five with the grip perfect and your posture and your stance?
2: Well, that's the funny part is my grip was perfect. And then you might know that as not too much time went on, um, my grip became very imperfect and I kept that all of my playing years. So um, yeah, I started out technically perfect. I really did. Um, the way I was taught was my father and a golf pro, a man named Bob Green, uh, who was the pro at a nine hole place in St. Louis. Uh, they taught me to swing the club by taking it one foot back and one foot through. When I could do that really well, I could take it a little farther and a little farther and a little farther. So. It was probably, I don't know, I think at the end of every sort of session, they let me whack at one, but um, I think it was probably close to a full year, certainly a full winter um, in an indoor um, basement range for me to swing the club full. And so that's how it started um, being more perfect than it ever was again.
0: Do you remember your first And I remember my first birdie on a hole you played.
2: I don't remember my first birdie. I think what I do remember, um, I think I was nine when I broke 45 for the first time. Uh-huh. And um, that was a big deal. I was playing in the National Pee Wee Tournament and I shot 45. Those were nine hole um, events at that time. So I shot 45 which and was pretty good when i was 9 um cuz i was i was really small and and just to keep the record straight i probably really didn't start swinging a club when i was 5 more like 6
0: <clears throat> yeah nowadays you see children that just learn how to walk swinging a club and they <laughs> swing it and they go right down the driving range cuz the clubs heavier than they
2: are <laughs> i just i, I think hard. some of the little kids though um are so Sound at when they're three years old, and I've had this idea, which somebody who's somebody in the golf golfing world or somebody who loves golf needs to try my idea, which is, I think you should put two or three really good golf swings on a loop in a baby's room, you know, and if they if they get where they um, like golf at all, or not not don't they don't have to like golf, they're just watching this wonderful golf swing. And I want to see if it would have any bearing when they were five or six years old. Yeah, that's a great it's idea.
0: Subliminal. And I often think that's what they do in Korea. I don't, in Korea, they have a little room with every video angle and they put the child there and they get them in there. And like you, you only learn to swing one foot, one foot until they had that nice, whatever you want to call it, C type yeah. swing, whatever, that nice swing. Then they went <clears throat> outside the room and it was all video. So they saw their swing every day. And until it was good, they weren't allowed to go out of that little white recording room. Right?
2: I asked a Korean gentleman one time um, who is uh, both in broadcasting and a teacher. I said, "You know, why? Why are the players from Korea so sound and so good? And he said, one of the reasons is golf courses are few and they're very, very difficult to get on. So an awful lot of their golf is spent on the range. And as their golf is spent on the range, their golf swing becomes more and more perfect. Uh, and so I think we see, you know, so many that are really perfect. The, the one I think stands out as imperfect, but it sure works is NB Park. Right. I mean, she has a swing, you probably would not try to copy. Um, but um, I, I, I do know this, the secret to the game is you find something that works And you learn how to repeat it
0: right so let's say it would be
2: the great example you know she just has a she has what looks like an awkward golf swing and it also looks like she cannot possibly be generating any speed but she does
1: the ball likes her hmm. swing as billy Harmon would say yeah
2: yeah yeah and the ball likes the ball likes where the energy is and the energy is right at the ball
0: we we talked to people. Somebody said there was a time when Tom Watson went five years and did not miss a shot. You know, uh, Freddie Couples claimed he never missed a shot. I don't think Mimby Park ever missed a shot. I think she didn't win tournaments because she couldn't always make the 10 or 12 footers. And I bet you she's one of the all-time 10 or 12 foot putts makers in the history of the game.
2: When she started to make putts, she'd never quit. You know, because she was at a point in time before she wanted at and I can't recall the year, but she was at a point in time when she might have quit playing golf. Uh, she was driving, losing the ball to the right real often, and she was not putting well. And her teacher and now husband um, taught her, uh, worked on her to not lose the ball to the right. And then, I don't know, she... She had the greatest putting week that that year at Evian that she had ever had and it continued. And then she started winning other major championships. And it was uh, um she's got quite the resume for somebody who, if you just at first glance, is not gonna be at the top of the charts.
0: Would you be easier to win with Kathy Whitworth's game or NB Park's game? Because Kathy Whitworth, she's the most winningest
2: golfer of all time. She is.
0: Yeah, and her swing um, was great. I don't think it was perfect.
2: Was not perfect. She and she, you know she was an excellent putter. Um, the the things that I really remember about Kathy are that um, first of all there wasn't any particular part of her game that just knocked your socks off. You know when you played with her or watched her, um, other than she was a way better than an average putter. But I always thought of Kathy as simply a player. She was. She knew how to get the ball in the hole. She knew how to shoot scores. And um, you know, if you combine that with somebody who's pretty good, you have a great player.
1: Sort of like Scotty Scheffler. There's no particular thing that stands out about him, but he's always there.
2: That's right. That's right. And it's it's um it, it, and it's also. You know, it's also a mindset that um, I, I, I don't think it's ridiculous in this regard, but it's there, which is a certain positive attitude that if something goes wrong, you can recover. So you never get in a really big knot playing the game. Yeah. And uh, uh, that that even keel in your head is so very important. Excuse my phone. I did not turn it off.
0: <laughs> I thought you, on top of having a dog, also had a duck. I
1: thought we were we were over by Harlan Beatrice's house for a minute.
0: <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we were talking earlier. Billy and I were thinking about a lot of things. We think the LPGA game, and I've thought this back to the 1970s and 80s, more resembled. The golf the average golfers game in, in this regard. This not not in scoring, but in length and in second shots to holes. Uh we were talking about who would win? Let's see. Pick pick a top three player right now if it's not Rosang uh Nelly
2: Yep.
0: Who would win from the same sixty four hundred yard golf course? Nellie Corda or Bernard Langer?
2: Yeah, that's an excellent question. Um, because he's somewhat phenomenal in his own right. Um, well, I think it would be a great contest. And I think I, I actually think that Nelly might actually drive the ball a little longer than than longer. I'm not sure of that. I haven't looked at any stats in a long time on the champions tour. But um uh There's no doubt that would be a really good contest. And the only thing I would say is Loner um, is is such a crazy experienced winner. He might win for that reason. But, you know, she might win because she's a young woman who would get hyped up to do that.
1: It would be so much fun to watch two players navigate
2: a course without overpowering it.
1: Yes, it would be. It would be a great thing to watch.
2: Yes. So, you know, all those years ago when I played well, um, we didn't have those kind of stats and so on. But I am pretty sure when I was playing really well and I was a good driver of the ball, I think I would have averaged somewhere 235 to 240 off the tee. And um, that is in the bottom of the bottom today on the LPGA tour. And there are any number, I mean, a lot of players who average over 260. And when phenomenal. you talk, yeah, when you're talking about a Nelly, you're talking 280. So um, it, in that regard, the women's game is a different game than it ever was before. Mickey Wright probably would have <sighs> averaged, I really, I can't, I played with her, I knew her, um, we were friends. I'm trying to think, but I really think when Mickey was at the top of her game, she might have averaged 255. Maybe she was stretching it to It oh, was, mag- it was magnificent, but, but it wasn't the length of today. It wasn't. Well,
0: Joanne Carter was, and maybe Laura Baugh in the 72 open hit it to the bunker on one East, which was about 150 or so to the green. So that had been a 200, um, I think it was about a 250-yard shot to get to there, or 240. I remember Mary Mills would just barely get it into the fairway and have 185 left. Four days in a row, she hit five wood. Now, that's that's tough, right? Nowadays, they would play that hole 360. What would you say? A driver and an eight or a nine iron, maybe? Wedge. Wedge? You know, uh, they,
2: they hit a nine iron. 130 135 yards
0: yeah so it'd be a driver and a wedge so back you guys play driver and a five wood that's the delta
2: um the one i the one hole i really remember um i've isn't 16 a par five yes okay so i am really contending and i've hit two good shots at 16 i have a pitch a long pitch to the green and i am thinking i need to make four here and i might get there and i hit a i don't remember hitting a great shot but i hit a reasonably good shot and i didn't make the pot and um i i think that i think not making four there cost me as much as anything um so well that but that's the hole i really remember and i also remember having one of the best ball striking weeks ever. And I just did not make putts. I don't think I putted, I didn't make them.
1: Neil Christie who caddied for you said the same thing that you were hitting it square all day and just not not getting the putts in the hole sometimes.
2: He was a great caddy, he was. And um, I don't know that I've ever crossed paths with him since but I still remember his name and um, I remember what a almost great week we had well, you he can said, say hello
1: to him because he'll be listening to this next week.
2: Oh, good. He said to me
0: yesterday. I spoke with him. He said, "Tell Judy, I still feel like I know her through Mark Loomis." The the men who play the Open and the ladies who play the Open they don't run across those Tillinghouse greens every day of the week. What's the difference in a tour green and and say an Open green like that, or even a Pebble Beach that's coming this week?
2: Well, the USGA would like to make them. Faster than normal, certainly. Um, I think I think on the LPGA Tour, they the goal is 11, 11 and a half in the stint meter um, every week. But I know we're bumping past 12 in almost all the major championships and rightly so. Um, very, it, you know, what in the days that I remember the U.S. Open was before the U.S. Open was, a little more reasonable for women. And the U.S. Open took a turn to be much more reasonable for women when Judy Bell was the president of the USGA. Uh, but prior to that, it was, I, I and I think a lot of people would say this, um, it was a test uh, that also had an element of luck. Because if, if you can go way back and think about, men or women's U.S. Opens now, but if you go way back, there was the green, there was a little bit of fringe, and then the rough started being that high. uh, I know this now that I'm older and wiser and don't play well. Um, But at the U.S. Open, in all the years that I played, the way to miss the ball was short if you miss the ball long or right or left um, maybe it's because of skill maybe it's a, because of golf clubs but nobody was superior at playing these short shots from this deep stuff as they are as many are superior now so clubs and skill have changed at this point um, but but when I look back I think You know, if you and very often you were hitting a three at a green and you hit it pin high that and but missed the green. That was not good. In fact, you would really hope for a bunker. Yeah, because because I really I don't I can't think of a player. A long time ago, that was great out of that really long rough. And if there were one, I might I might tag Joanne Corner. Because she had a little more nerve to lay the blade open and, you know, whatever. Um, but basically, you you really hope the ball would go in a bunker. Yeah. Um, so, so it's a different game today. It's a different game today. And they really do more invite you to get the ball to hole high and to um, take the chance of going over the green and so on. And I think that has made... Um, that's made golfers so much better uh, than than all those years ago. And, yeah. and I'm pretty sure of that because I started playing in USGA tournaments when I was, I don't know, a young teenager. Um, actually, before then, because I was 11 years old and played in the National Junior Girls when Joanne Corner won. Uh, she beat Clifford Ann Creed uh, in a playoff. And I would tell you how good Joanne Corner was. My dad and I had stayed and watched that last match. Obviously, I was out early. Um, Clifford Ann Creed never made a bogey and wow. lost five and four. Wow. Wow. So, and I saw that.
1: Well, you were 14 when you won the Missouri amateur, I think. Was it were you 14 yes. years
2: old? yes
1: that's unbelievable
2: yeah it was to most of us too (laughs) (laughs) um yeah my dad sent me and i stayed with a family and nobody dreamed i would do that well but there you go
1: did you dream it or did you have fear or uh anxiety about it or did you just go out there and play
2: golf i i you know i i really don't know i um I always played golf kind of serious. Uh, that came from my father. My you know my maiden name is Torlumpke, so I'm I'm a little bit German, and my father was a, really a little bit German. So it was everything was well, and my life was more serious because my mother was in the throes of not living. She was, my mother was dying. She finally passed away when I was 11, but she spent the last four years of her life paralyzed down the left side of her body. She had a malignant brain tumor. So those kinds of things make your life more serious. Uh, And I think I think people can understand that. So I was their only child. And um, so I just remember being serious and kind of going about my business. And I don't know, somehow that happened. And I I I was becoming good and better. I, I did not win the um, Missouri M the next year, but I do remember being the low qualifier when I was fifteen. And I shot sixty nine, oh. which was that was um, an accomplishment in his own right. So, um, mm-hmm.
0: so you grew up playing golf serious. And the other day, maybe it was last week, somebody said, "Get who it was." Golf is an easy game until you care.
1: Yeah, I, <laughs> I say that all the time.
2: Well, you, you it,
1: can't be it, good at golf unless you don't care. And then you get good, but you don't yeah. care.
2: If, if you don't have moments where you hate it, um, you can never really love it, I think. I don't know. It's, it's, one, of the, it's one of the great. Um, I have a quote somewhere. I would, here was Louise Sugg's quote about golf. Golf is like a love affair. If you don't take it seriously, it's no fun. If you do take it seriously, it breaks your heart so i think that's uh, uh that, that's spot on yeah now when if you play golf if you love it and you play golf competitively at all or even if you're just competitive at your club once in a while you are just going to want to throw your clubs in the lake mm-hmm. and you know it's it's those throw the clubs in the lake moment that kind of give you the um, the gumption to try again.
1: You know so you're in Tommy... trouble when your caddy says you better throw a provisional. We may not find that one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so Tommy Bolt was notorious for that in in the old days. Who was anything like that on the the ladies' tour? Is there anybody? I d I don't know.
2: Yeah we have an old we had an old friend. Her name's Joanne Prentice. And um Joanne was a little fiery. She was from Alabama. And um we were playing somewhere in the Southeast. I'm not sure where might've been Spartanburg, South Carolina or something like that. And, um, I don't know, I was 19 or 20 years old. Uh, Joanna brought her mother to this tournament and her mother had herself positioned in a little chair up above the 18th green and Joanne players that were with her and players who saw this all, um, related this story, it was an elevated green. So Joanne was down in this valley and gonna play up to the green. And she hit her shot and she was just so mad. She had a headband on kind of like I used to wear. And she took it and she threw it off of her head and she threw her club. And this lady sitting next to Joanne's mother said, oh my gosh, can you imagine acting like that? Do you know that who that is? And her mom said, I have no idea. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Not today, I don't.
0: <laughs> okay. So Judy, um, yeah, we're looking at this picture of the serious you with your headband and that beautiful follow through. But then also on the right, you had quite a career in broadcasting. Uh kind of like um Ken Venturi, you had a playing career and then a broadcasting career, which was a long, long career. And I never heard anybody say other than, we love Judy.
1: The Hall of but, Fame in two different uh, fields, <laughs> which is unbelievable.
2: <laughs> well, I did, I, I, I dearly loved my years in television. And um, it, it was a shock to me that it came to be because I played, um, at the end of my playing career, I played really poorly. I was, I had been, I had been hurt for a long time with back problems. Uh, it had become very chronic, probably 10 years or so. Some of my best years I played with serious back problems, but, uh, um, I left playing very poorly. Uh, you know, you, as, as a golfer, as a professional golfer, you blame it on everything in the world, but your health, you know, the clubs are wrong. I'm not swinging the club. Well, I'm not this, I'm not that. But the fact is, the root of it all is um, your body's not the same, and you're always compensating somehow or another. So um, I left the tour at age 39. I, maybe I had turned 40. I think I was 39. And um, I'd always loved golf on TV, but I had become kind of withdrawn after playing so poorly, and I couldn't stand up in front of two people and talk. I just could not. And so when I was really, I was really glad to go home and to not win or lose every day. Uh, and I tell you in, in competitive golf, I think players have a little better attitude, but in, in my era, in my time, me, I felt like I won or lost almost every day. I feel like, and I, and I say this often, but I think, playing competitive golf professional golf is a little bit like taking an essay T test every day. And they put your score in the paper, you know, <laughs> so um, shoot so me I, now. Yeah. I was pretty, I was pretty, I was really down and um, I got the call from, I got a call from ABC sports because Bob Rosberg had they were looking for a person for the women's open to be on the ground like Rossi was. And Rossi and I, my family, my husband, all of us, we were friends for a long time. And Rossi knew what kind of shape I was in. And um, he told them that they should try me, that my back was really bad and I wouldn't be playing. So I got the call. And before I sort of evaluated my inability to talk, (laughs) I said yes. And I went to Salem, Massachusetts, and Rossi gave me about a three-minute tutorial, and I worked for the first time. And I've often said that the blessing was I could lean against a tree and talk about players and things I knew, and I didn't ever have to look in a camera. So I I count that very gentle start in TV as, as the reason I made it because I was um, I was not comfortable with myself and I had lost sort of any confidence I'd ever had, had just been beaten up over three years or so. And um, as it turned out, the fall I, I did few tournaments, I did a couple of tournaments that year. I did the mixed team, and I had a procedure done on my back, which I'm sure some people, knew of where they would go in and they use papaya enzyme to um, dissolve the parts of the disc that were causing the problems. Um, I got a lot worse with that. I know, I know people who had success. I got worse. So in 85, thank you. I got asked to come to the men's open and uh, I did that. I worked the men's open then I worked the women's open and then I went and had back surgery and uh my I'm one of those lucky people who the back surgery really really helped me and uh, I have a little nerve damage in my left leg but it's not never painful it gets tired Uh, but I have had one little back incident now since 1985 so that doctor fixed me I will tell you and um And I just, I didn't have the heart or the will or anything to play again. And I'd also had that little taste of television. So uh, 88, in 88, ABC Sports um, signed a big PGA Tour contract, 20 some events. And Rossi said, you know, they have to hire people. And if you want the job, you got to tell them. And so I did. And, you know, for all the years they were patient with me, I now had a full-time job, and uh, I'm right on 40 years later in television, and I'm so grateful.
0: You know, I've often wondered, you know, uh, just because Smiley Kaufman comes to mind, he's kind of new on the, like you, many years ago, and what, that you got your training on the job with Bob Rosberg, what do they do today, do they
2: yeah, yeah Noda, Noda's, Noda's been a great success story. Um, I has
1: got the gobble voice, the whisper.
2: When I started, you only spoke when you were spoken to. There were people in trucks who opened and closed you. Um, so I worked through all the years where all that changed, where you were controlling your own mic. Um, a, a lot of things changed. You um, And I really think it was people at ABC and you know Mark Loomis was he was a newbie right out of Vanderbilt uh, when he first started working for ABC and um, you know he went all the way up the ranks and uh, knowing him as you do and knowing him as I do it didn't he he's pretty quick with the learning curve Um, so but things like having your own space was kind of created at ABC Sports where they, and one of the goals was to not use our names frequently, once in a great while, but not frequently, because the show was supposed to be about the golf and the players in the golf course. It wasn't supposed to be about us. And they made that, you know, clear so often. And so all the things that you see in TV now were things that were in progress when I was working and learning. So. I got to learn them along the way as they were instituted, and so on. But today's people who start with, for instance, with on course work, um, they just jump right into the fire. It's mu- it's much harder to start today, and yet they are finding people who grasp it really quickly, like a smiley. Um, so I-, I think that's I think that's great, and. Um, my my claim to fame actually is I took Dottie Pepper to work TV for the first time, and you know now she's um, she's kind of the boss of the fairways. So um, <laughs> in many that, ways, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I just I, I I just thought she she was having neck problems at the time, and took her to the um, a, a U.S. Amateur in Asheville, and uh, she worked on course. And it is a little bit of a funny story. But uh, uh, this girl who was quite an excellent player, um, her name was Dorothy Dellison. And Dorothy was a little emotional. And so Dorothy wins the US amateur. And the whole time Dottie is trying to interview her, she is sobbing. I mean, like (gasps) these kind of sobs, you know. And Dottie got through that her very first week working. Uh, so anyway, she's she's so excellent at what she does, and I'm I'm really um, happy that um, I had the idea that she had the stuff to do that because there's no doubt she does, and nobody outworks her as far as homework goes. I can tell you that.
0: Live live uh, interviews are tough. Frank Gifford told me he interviewed uh, Lauren Bacall, and she was the worst interview he ever had in his life. She was horrible. You know, can well, you imagine someone like that being a horrible interview? But she was. <laughs>
2: I got better at it, and I'll tell you why. When I was first interviewing guys when we'd finish a round of golf, which I knew what to ask them. I'd been there all day. I knew what mattered and what didn't. So I'd ask a question, and then my producer would start talking in my ear about what he wanted, and I never could hear the guy's answer.
1: Ah, Got that IFP
2: bugging you. Yeah, so I finally... I finally went to Jack Whittaker because he was so brilliant at things. And I said, Jack, how do I interview better? And I told him what was happening in my ear and this and that. And he said, well, you you have your first question ready and your second question should always play off of something they said. And I said, well, it'd be nice if I knew what they said, you know. So we finally got that straight and I got where I could do this pretty well. And I got comfortable with, you know, people like Tiger and... Um, you know, people like Annika Sorenstam when she shoots 59 and, you know, things like that. So that is all thanks to Jack Whitaker, um, who was one of the most wonderful voices ever in television. Somebody asked me once, they said, who writes those essays for him? And I said, no one. He's sitting back in the corner and making that up as he goes along and they're beautiful. If you remember at Pebble Beach years ago, uh, we were doing the U.S. Open at Pebble and Jack did one of his essays and he went on and on and on about the bravest man in the world. And he said, but actually the bravest man in the world was the man who first tried an oyster. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> anyway, but he, he just had a brilliant way about him and um, uh, loved, loved the man. Uh, really, really nice person. With, with your experience
0: with your back, and maybe few announcers have the experience you have. Now you're sitting across the, the table with Tiger Woods. What question are you going to ask Tiger Woods with what he's gone through with his back?
2: Oh boy, you know, I, I know Tiger. We have a great inside the ropes friendship. And Lord knows I've interviewed him many, many times. Uh, one of the best weeks of my life was I was with him almost the whole week at St. Andrews in 2000 when he won. Um, and I, it's hard for me to really grasp how competitive he must be because and how much he loves golf and competition because it's it's hard, it, it's hard to imagine when someone's had every success that he's had and they have all the resources in the world what what possesses them to try to work that hard again and i so i guess i guess what i would say if i were asking him a question and and knowing that i really i i i care about i care about him just because he was so good to me in my job and the fact that we had a golf relationship and a television relationship did a lot for my career let me tell you uh, that's for sure. So I guess what I would ask him is, the love affair you are having with your children, and watching them grow up, and um, being right by their side, and Charlie and golf, is it is it enough to um, to blot out the fact that you're not going to really play competitively anymore? Is it enough? And I think most parents would say it is. And I'm kind of thinking these days, today's tiger would say it is, but it still is going to be, it's so hard for him because as he says, I can still play. I just can't walk. I was also doing television when all the Casey Martin stuff was going on. And I I got to know Casey a little bit. And of course, Tiger was one of those that really believed that walking is such a part of the physical part of playing the game. And um, I I don't know if, I don't know that I actually have an opinion one way or another, but uh, that's in a way it's come back to haunt him. But I, I, that's really a poor choice of words. I wouldn't say that, but it, it's put him in a difficult spot now that it's his spot.
0: Yeah, I noticed uh, Lumpy was playing in a golf cart in the senior USGA Open, but it was a bare bones cart. No roof, no sunshine, no water bottles. It was just wheels so he could get from one place to the next. And and I, I do remember that Casey Martin, I thought he had a similar kind of golf cart with that. So he it did. Was- was a minimalist? Okay, you need a vehicle to get around. We're not giving you a you know a stretch limo here. We're going to give you a vehicle, and you're going to ride it over here. And I thought, okay, that's that's fair, I guess.
2: No yeah. GPS. And Casey's was like that. Tiger's given an awful. I'm, I I know Tiger's less than perfect, but he's given an awful lot of people a lot of thrills and joys um, with golf, and uh, and I think he deserves to, um, you know, have a little, um, have something that really satisfies him and, and feeds him um, as he, well, gosh knows, the man's not old, mm-hmm. but he's older than he was. And, um, and he is going to watch these, he is watching these kids grow up. And, uh, and he has all the resources to give his kids every possible opportunity and that, you know, that's an accomplishment in itself.
1: A little you know, like when, uh, Roy Hobbs in the natural. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, as, as the manager said, the best player, he's the best hitter he's ever seen. Tiger might not be perfect, but he's as close to perfect on a golf course as I've ever seen.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and he has some, um, and, and in his personal life, we know he's far less than perfect. Um, but, He also does an awful lot of good things. And I guess, you know, I'm old enough now to say, you know, if you have a few redeeming qualities, it's not not my place to judge. And all I know is the guy was good and fair and straight with me always.
0: Yeah. Well, he lived in a time where he's under a microscope. He's no maybe that different than Babe Ruth or Mickey Mantle or Joe Namath. They lived at right. different times. There was no microscopes back then. You, right. would, you would you'd be scared probably to follow around any of those three guys in their prime. <laughs> with what well, they, Namath, Namath yeah. didn't care. <laughs> Although Babe Ruth used to take some time off and go play 36 holes at Wingfoot before we would play an a- it, afternoon game.
1: <laughs> they'd call, it, call in sick to the Yankees and go play golf.
0: <laughs> really? Yeah. I did not yeah. know that. He <laughs> wasn't a member at Wingfoot. Guys would say, let's play golf. And he said, what time are you thinking? They say 10 o'clock. So they'd come up at 9.30, quarter to 10. And who would be coming down the 18th hole, that famous 18th hole? Jeff Ogilvy and Davis Love and Bobby Jones all one at, right? And he's walking up to the green. They said, what are you doing? He said, well, I had to get an 18 in before. He's not a member. They Warm did up. things back then in the 40s and 50s, I guess, right, Billy?
2: He's Babe know yeah.
0: he right
2: You know, uh, uh, for year, a number of years when I was, teenager and then turning 20 and whatever i worked in the winters we had a good time off probably five months and um i worked for bob Toskey at ocean reef in north key largo florida oh. and one, uh, one one night day whatever i called my father and i said guess you know who i've been playing golf with the last days and he said who and i said ted williams And I thought my father would drop the phone. He couldn't, he almost couldn't talk. So um, Ted Williams had come to Ocean Reef. He had a home in Marathon, Florida. And he had come to Ocean Reef to kind of see if he could play golf. And, uh, you know, a left-handed golfer, uh, gosh, such a a big man with big arms and all this and that. But we would, we played golf a lot for a couple of winters. And um, uh, if he played, he had a friend that, a man named Doc Doherty. And he was always with him. So, and um, another friend of mine who played the tour for um, a good little bit of time, a gal named Leslie Holbert, the four of us would play golf. And if Ted played well on the front nine, we'd play 18. And if he didn't, he would buy lunch and we'd be done. (laughs) And that's how that worked. And it was fun. And uh, I look back and i think my gosh what an experience i had you know ted williams
1: um one of the best hitters in baseball history was i think still the last person to hit 400 and on the last day of the season he was batting 401 and his manager said do you want to sit out this doubleheader and keep the 401 average and he said no way and he went uh, 6 for 8 in the doubleheader and brought his average up to 406 wow now, that's a, wow. that's an incredible
2: sportsman right there i think all the people in all kinds of sports that you know are unusually talented i mean the extraordinary people they all have a really strong will and um i think you know when i was playing well more than being confident i had a really strong will and uh, probably a person like annika and she could put all that strong will and she could direct it at one thing because that's how she's kind of lived her life is, you know, one thing at a time and doing it as well as you could possibly do it. So uh, she was that way with golf. She was that way with, she's that way raising children. And now she has this, um, what do you call it? Uh, (laughs) Her branding is like her side hustle. You know, She (laughs) she does everything in the world. My gosh, she's everywhere. But she does a good job with it. And my gosh, she's playing at Pebble Beach this week.
0: I'm looking up the odds this week and see what her odds are. I think if the score is even par or two or three over or one under par, there's no reason she can't win.
2: Well, there's not. But I will tell you what happens as players get a little older or maybe they're not playing every week, either one. They can really play well. It is so very hard to sustain it for four days. And I've seen that with Julie Inkster that I've seen her play golf here very recently. And she's past 60 where there's no doubt the game she has is a winning game, but she can't seem to sustain it for the length of the tournament. Um, and otherwise, I guarantee you, Julie Inkster would have won somewhat recently.
0: Yeah. Well, it happened to Brooks Koepka in the Masters. He want, You mm-hmm. want to say what you want to. What he took away from losing the Masters, and he was leading it from the minute he teed it up, I think, was that he didn't sustain it through the fourth round. And he said, I'm going to fix that. And what did he do? He won the next tournament, right?
2: Well, and anybody, I, I, will, I will go to the mat with anybody who says he doesn't have a strong will. <laughs> whose, whose
0: will is stronger? Jack Nicholas in their prime or Tiger Woods, or is, is it a dog tie?
2: Probably a tie, but if I had to say strong will, I would say Tiger, just because uh, Tiger developed it with very difficult circumstances growing up and all.
0: He he was quite a short game player. Nichols was maligned for his bunker play in his prime.
2: Well, Gary Player was refuted to be, is refuted to be a really great bunker player for sure. Um
1: Lee Trevino said he he'd hit bunker shots and he wouldn't have dinner until he made three in a row that players said so sometimes he didn't <laughs> eat
2: well how about Seve hitting bunker shots with a forearm right you know, I mean hitting lofted, soft bunker shots with a forearm if you that's that's a talent for sure um anyway uh everybody we mentioned they're all such extraordinary golfers and um, um, we're all lucky to have, uh, if, if you admire great players, we're all lucky to have lived in this time. Absolutely.
0: Did someone teach you a lesson about the way to play, the way to score, that you've kept through your entire life and, and you're willing to share here?
2: Well, when I was first playing, well, when I was playing golf at this nine-hole course in St. Louis, um, if I hit a shot that my dad didn't like or missed the green or whatever, He'd make me go get the ball, bring it back. and it again.
0: <laughs> no so there's a- you had to go get it and bring it back.
2: <laughs> yes. And so and yeah, because he was carrying my clubs. So um, <laughs> the, I guess that could speak to why I might not have been the world's greatest wedge player, because my father should have said, go get it in the hole. But he did make me a really good tee to green player. No doubt about that. Um, I was a very good bunker player, and that, uh, I think, I want to say a little bit like Paul Azinger, a little bit like Fred Couples, there there used to be a thought that people with a strong grip couldn't be good out of a bunker, but it's wrong, because people with a strong grip can be good out of the bunkers. The difference is, I don't think we as much try to take the club out and in as we break early. You know, but I mean, those are two examples of very strong grip players who were really good bunker players. And I was too. So if, if I were to say the two things I really did well, it was I was a very good driver, a little bit long, and um, bunkers. Yeah. But the other thing, I, 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 think, I think my husband, of all the people who didn't know much about golf, Um, but he got to know me so he he was of a very competitive nature he was a football and baseball player and um, he made me tougher and I think toughening up is part of scoring I just don't think it's not always going to be the pretty shot or the shot you want it and you just can't get down about it because um, you hit a bad shot you've got to Get your head right and go get it up and down.
0: So he taught you to tough it out instead of woe is me.
2: Absolutely. I remember one day I told him I said it is so cold I'm going to quit, and he said you are not going to quit. Nobody else is quitting. <laughs> That's the first time I ever won. <laughs>
0: yeah, I was well, in on the yeah. Vig- on the LPJ tour.
2: Yes. The yes.
0: Christie Civitan Open.
2: Yes, Pharaoh yeah. Uh,
0: yes. So how does a guy who's not very good at golf get a name Yippee?
2: Not like me. Grandfather was a cowboy. Okay. And he wanted him to have a cowboy name and there, it had it had some relationship to the way he cried.
0: <laughs> I have two quick questions and then we'll see where we go from here. Rose Zhang. Does Rose Zhang go the route of maybe surpassing Annika Storenstam? She's so early in her career, but First tournament, first win, right off the NCAA
2: win. Or does she go in the direction of Michelle Wee? I would definitely say she would be more like Annika. She would be, she would be, um, you know, Michelle has has always had an arm of her life going on that was um but I guess it was about golf, but it was about more than golf. Um, because Michelle, for those who don't know, is a magnificent artist, um, all kinds of things. Um, but I think, I, uh, Lord, forgive me, I don't want to say the wrong thing, but I, I think Rose Zhang has come out of Stanford with a very broad, usable education. And I see it in the way she speaks and the way she conducts herself and all that. And I, I think I think Michelle, I'm, I'm sure she learned a lot at Stanford. Don't get me wrong, but I think I don't I don't see I didn't see where Michelle was a whole lot different from her time at Stanford. Michelle was still Michelle to me. the she was still the teenager that I that I first knew. and um, uh, And the other thing about Michelle is she probably had to. Um, find other ways to um, spend her time, make herself happy, whatever that is, because she had so many crazy injuries, Just, just like injury prone. Annika was never ever hurt until way, way late in her career where she had a little neck issue, but she was never hurt ever. And that makes a big difference.
0: Yeah, being painful. So the other, sorry, I have a third question. I'll squeeze it in right here. So David Foster is the CEO of Colgate Palmolive and Dinah Shore, obviously. Who did more for golf or did they both do a lot for women's golf and golf in general?
2: Well, they both did. But David Foster was sponsoring Dinah's show. And without David Foster, we would not have known Dinah. We would not have had so many of us had friendships with Dinah. And um all those things. So uh, they, in regard to how they affected the LPGA, they were a combo that just they went together in a big way and um, uh, don't know what we David's the one who took us around the world the first time. You know, David took us to England to play at Sunningdale. David took us to um, the Philippines, David took us to Australia. Um, so he opened so many doors for the LPGA. And then the respect that uh, the entertainment world and the world in general had for Dinah Shore gained us a bunch of respect. And so I what a time. It, it made so much difference for us, so much difference for us. And it was all in the um, early to mid seventies. and.
0: Is there a sponsor Thanks. today that might be someone like a David Foster for LPGA golf, or is willing to do it, or has the creativity to do things for LPGA and, and that tour?
2: Well, I think KPMG, what what they have done, and um, also CME, uh, those two sponsors, um, have have made a huge difference for the LPGA tour, and I. I think in, in most cases, there's always, um, there always seems to be somebody who comes along and, and sees something in the LPGA that needs to be explored, exploited, whatever. Um, and, and I think those two sponsors stand out, but um, just, just imagine, the women are playing the US Open tomorrow morning at Pebble Beach. And I'm gonna tell you in my lifetime, that is one of the more historic things I'm ever gonna see. Just like when I saw Lorena Ochoa win at St. Andrews. I mean, um, here's what I, I think. I think they've arrived. Yeah, I do think I they have arrived. So.
1: I'd love to see and, them get on the on these courses. They're, they're playing Baltus roll. Um, I'd love to see them at Wingfoot in an open again.
2: Uh well I I I think you might see that. I I just and then, you know, um, go, uh, USA and, and NBC are giving it their its real due with all the time on television. Peacock also is the, the very first glimpse tomorrow. Um and I, I just, I, I, I'm fascinated. The USGA invited all the past champions and they could bring a guest and they really, they did it really well. And I'm not sure exactly how they're entertaining them or what they're doing, but um, I don't know a past champion that could go that didn't go. So, all right.
0: So looking back at your career in broadcasting, the number one call, you know, Gary Koch's got his at the Players' Championship. What's your number one call? or the one that you felt most excited about or momentous?
2: Oh, you know, I have several. Um, In in men's golf, of course, as as I told you, I was with Tiger in 2000 at um, St. Andrews, which was amazing that ABC would have trusted me with that. Um, I was also at St. Andrews when Jack Nicklaus played his last round, which I found um, people didn't just respect Jack Nicklaus, which I knew, but they really loved him. It was a standing ovation all day long.
0: He birdied the, the uh, 18th hole, too,
2: I think. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. So um, those things are, are extremely memorable to me. Um, I also was in the fairway with David Duvall when he shot 59. That was kind of a big deal. Um, I was on the call in the booth with Annika when she shot 59. Oh. And uh, I've just, I, you know, I've, I've had, um, I've had some really great experiences. I really have. And, and I could go on and on, but I've had, I had a tremendous great run.
0: Well, we hope you keep running. This has been awesome, Billy. And I just thrilled, uh, privileged, and, and honored that you would spend a little time with us. You're such an instrumental part of the game of golf. We like to talk about wing foot as the greatest 36 holes in golf. That's our opinion. You have history there, short of a couple of uh, breaks either way. That putt on 16, you would have won the opener. You could have been needling Susie Knight- Maxwell-Burning, and she tells me she's so sorry every time she sees you that she took that one away from you.
2: <laughs> Uh, Thanks to both of you. I enjoyed it. And um, now I got to get back to real life and quit um, thinking about the past. (laughs) Here was Louise Sugg's quote about golf. Golf is like a love affair. If you don't take it seriously, it's no fun. If you do take it seriously, it breaks your heart. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Billy We really
2: appreciate your
1: feedback.
0: And please subscribe to the show. And hit the bell icon so you get notified. Movie classics. New episodes.
1: Mark Gable.
0: Hit them hard. And hit them off.
1: That's 36 holes.